Much of the world relies on rice every day. It would be difficult to overstate the value it plays for countries and cultures across the globe. While China and India are the world's leading rice growing areas, the United States is a significant producer. Long grain rice in the south, medium and short grain rice from California's Sacramento Valley. And there's good news from Northern California. A wet winter brought relief from devastating drought. This is such positive news for everyone in the region, including to the growers we'll visit with today, Nicole Montna Van Vleck and Kurt Richter. 2022, with half the crop planted, it really devastated the Sacramento Valley and the rice industry. This year is vastly improved from last year. Night and day difference from last year. Last year, the west side of the Sacramento Valley was a barren wasteland with no crops, no water, no people or wildlife. It looked like the area had almost been deserted and abandoned. Welcome to Redox Grows, an in-depth look at key issues affecting agriculture and the people that make it all happen. I'm Jim Morris with Redox Bionutrients in Burley, Idaho. I appreciate you listening. Be sure to follow our show, tell your friends and colleagues as well. With all of the challenges that farmers face, it's nice to report good news. A parade of storms brought trillions of gallons of water to Northern California, filling reservoirs and providing the key ingredient to a rebound in rice production. Nicole Montna Van Vleck is president and CEO of Montna Farms, a family-owned and operated rice farm headquartered near Yuba City, California. She's a third-generation grower and industry leader and a good friend. She joins me remotely. Nicole, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Jim. I'm excited to join you today. This is a busy time in the Sacramento Valley, and I know that you started harvest. Your farm traditionally is one of the earlier starting for the rice harvest. How are things looking so far? It's going well. We started on September 11, and we've been consistently moving through the crop. You get going, and you really hope you can continue. Sometimes the rice gets a little bit green, and you have to slow down until it's dry enough for the harvesters to cut it. And so far, we've been progressing really nicely. It's working well. So the current estimate for the rice harvested this year will be double last year's total. That's such great news. So what's the collected feeling in the industry this year compared to 2022? Oh, it's much relief. 2022, with half the crop planted, it really devastated the Sacramento Valley and the rice industry. Many people had no work whatsoever, not just the labor force that we employ on the farm, but the, many of the crop dusters on the west side of the valley, um, they weren't flying. Um, seed companies weren't selling seed. Drying and storage facility and our mills um, around the valley didn't nearly have the capacity that they normally had. Some were half full, some were less than half full. This year is vastly improved from last year. It's really a welcome event for everyone across the eight counties that we, we grow rice in in California to see a full crop and wall-to-wall rice across the valley um, brings about lots of jobs, lots of economic activity for these small towns throughout the Sacramento Valley. I'm so happy to hear of that improvement. 
prior to my time here at Redox, I spent more than 14 years at the California Rice Commission. The industry in California is so valuable. The caliber of the people involved is just exceptional. Many lifelong friends in Rice, and it was just so brutal to see all that pain from last year. The fact that things are improved, Nicole, you talked about this a, a bit, but it is amazing when you look at the connection Rice has to the Sacramento Valley beyond the mills and the farms consumers are impacted rural communities are impacted so uh, a great sense of relief this year yes a great sense of relief you know there are about 2500 family farms that are in the rice industry in california it gets processed at these mills and goes through local distribution throughout our domestic market we also sell rice to some foreign markets as well uh, it's the backbone of the Sacramento Valley, the rice industry, and just having that renewed sense of uh, economic activity is so important for the valley. And we provide a lot of great habitat as well, and that was harmed last year um, without 100% of the rice being planted. California rice is highly sought after in many locations, as you mentioned, internationally as well. Very interesting that Japan is a market for California rice, and they're very discriminating consumers. So how important is quality, and what steps do you take to ensure that you get it? We do focus on growing a super high premium short grain product. Uh, we grow the line for the Tamanashiki brand, which is owned by JFC Foods. They're the Kikoman company. We provide them 100% of their product, and it's a super high-quality product you'll find in high-end restaurants or high-end Japanese and Asian food stores throughout the U.S. It takes a lot of special care. It's harder to grow than a medium grain, which is what's primarily grown in California. Um, it has a much longer stalk, longer straw than the medium grain. It'll often fall over when it's time to harvest. So just the harvest alone right now, you'll often see the rice that's laying almost flat on the ground in some cases. The harvesters have to be very careful. The drivers carefully go, go very slowly, three miles an hour, to move through this rice. Um, and be able to pick it up off the ground and get it into the, our drying and storage facilities. We cut it at a higher moisture, so that makes cutting a little more difficult too, because sometimes the stalks are still a little greener than they would be if it's a medium grain. But that higher moisture level really allows for high quality in the bag at the end product. And so um, it starts from the growing season through the harvest um, the various technical pieces we have to do during harvest, and then again in the milling process to make a very high-quality rice at the end of the day. Your industry has an incredible connection with sushi. California rice is used in virtually every roll of sushi made in America. What are the factors that make that possible? We are so fortunate in California to have this wonderful climate it's, that is very similar to the Japanese climate, and we're able to have these warm days and these cool nights that really produce a high quality product that really is very pleasing to all of our domestic customers and really rivals some of the best rices around the world. 
and great that there are wonderful sushi chefs, including some of our friends in Sacramento, Taro Arai of Makuni, Billy No of Crew Restaurant. They really are wonderful chefs and ambassadors for California rice. I want to ask you about what happens after harvest. A shallow amount of water goes into the fields to break down the stubble, and then another major benefit is realized. Tell me about all of your Pacific Flyway visitors. Well, it's amazing. So, in fact, you talk about adding water after a small amount of water after the fields are harvested. We actually started water yesterday on our farm. We, As you mentioned earlier, we like to harvest early. We also like to get the water out on the landscape early as well. So that water is now slowly coming out onto the fields and within days we'll have thousands of waterfowl that will be um, landing on those fields and eating the waste grain that is left behind. You know, it's not a perfect harvest. The crop lays down and we lose some of the grain on the ground. The ducks and geese that visit us, that travel along the Pacific Flyway each winter, they love our rice. And that rice in those fields actually, not just our fields, but all throughout the Sacramento Valley, can provide up to 60% of their food source each and every winter. So the rice fields are vital for the seven to eight million ducks and geese that come and visit us every winter. You have taken special steps at your operation. You have a conservation easement. Please explain what that is and why it's important. We were the first rice farm to do the type of conservation easement that we did. And it actually protects the agricultural value of the operation in perpetuity. And so it can always be a farm. Uh, you'll never it, it purchased the development rights off of that land, so you'll never see a housing development or a strip mall or anything of that sort there on our ranch. It'll always look like the beautiful landscape it is today. We overlaid a winter water component to provide water and habitat because that water on the rice field actually provides this valuable habitat that the ducks and geese utilize in the winter. 95% of California's historic wetlands are gone um, and the rice industry actually has a unique place and can provide up to 300,000 acres of surrogate wetlands each and every winter. Our fields are flooded each and every winter at Montana Farms, and the ducks and geese innately come back to those locations each and every year. Um, it's a beautiful sight. Like I said, they'll be arriving any day with the, the water that we've just put out on the landscape. Agricultural sustainability is something people are talking more and more about. When I look at rice, I think it's a textbook example. There are efficient use of resources. You're providing a staple food. It's very important for the economy. Also, all of those environmental benefits. How important do you feel sustainability is in agriculture? Oh, it's key. We think in terms of, you know, 50, 100 years out, how does this operation continue, both at the family succession level and at the viability of the agricultural productivity itself? By reincorporating the straw that we do every year, one good example of sustainability is that we put that straw back in the soil and it's a massive amount of straw that gets reincorporated. And the ducks and geese help 
by feeding and stomping it down. Um, they help in that decomposition process, but we're able to use far less fertilizer than we used to prior to reincorporating the straw. It's something we've now been doing uh, since the 1990s with ultimate success. We've had no issues. People were concerned when we first started this practice there might be disease that comes with not burning the rice fields, which was a practice that we used to employ, the whole industry did. And we've seen no such ill effects from reincorporation. It's just been very, very beneficial. We also are very focused on sustainability and our amount of water usage. And we use very high-tech equipment, like most, most farmers do these days satellites that actually will talk to our drag scrapers, which enable us to really keep the fields very, very level so we don't waste water. We use what's called a GPS drag scraper over every acre of our fields each and every year to really help keep that water usage to just the most efficient and beneficial use. And you also, as do several other operations in the Sacramento Valley, have a solar panel array, which helps with the energy front. So a lot of great things happening in Northern California rice country and throughout agriculture in our country. Well, I'm going to take you down memory lane just for a brief bit. When my son was very young, and he's in college now, he really enjoyed his harvester rides at your farm. And our family had a lot of field trips to your farm. I can still see the black terns dive-bombing us on the 4th of July. Their vocalizations are pretty amazing, and we'll just treasure those memories forever. And I want to thank you for your visit, and I also want to ask you to please give my best to Al, John, to everyone, and best wishes on a great year, and thank you for all the wonderful memories. Thank you, Jim, and you guys, you and RJ and Leslie are always welcome back. The turns are waiting for you. Kurt Richter is a fourth-generation rice grower and vice president of Richter Ag in Calusa County, traditionally America's largest rice-growing county, and he joins me remotely. Kurt, thanks for the visit. No problem. Tell me about a tale of two seasons, a horrific 2022, and I hope a restorative 2023. Yeah, at this point, the 2022 season almost feels like a bad dream or something. Uh, you know, like looking back, did that even really happen? Um, the west side of the Sacramento Valley this year is restored to normal conditions. There's rice everywhere. There's water to irrigate that rice. There's all the animal and wildlife activity is restored. Um, whereas this time a year ago, it was tens of thousands of acres that were bone dry, growing dry land weeds. And, and it was just a desolate place. Now it's become the vibrant rice country that we're all familiar with. And you and your family have been involved in rice for a long time. And I know there are a lot of multi-generational growers. Can people compare anything uh, in the past to what happened last year? No, there is no comparison for it. And I've even asked around about that a lot. It's like, well, what was it like the last time this happened? And the answer almost always was, this hasn't happened before. This is, there is no uh, example of this in previous history. It was every bit as desolate as you can imagine. You know, I always likened it to the movie Mad Max, you know, where it's just a, a, a barren, dry wasteland 
um, with no activity because there was no farming happening in that area. There was no activity happening in that area. A lot of farmers who had zero acres last year, I think, you know, I know of a few that went on cross country summer road trips with their kids or went on the fishing trip that they've been putting off for years and just didn't have any work to do and just didn't, I, I think it was too depressing for them to hang around. And so the, the area was just completely deserted. And now it's very much in line with all the seasons previous to last year uh, with, you know, be, being another hustling, bustling landscape with, you know, rice all over the place. How are things going? It's early in the season, but you have started harvest. How are things looking? So far, it's been pretty good. Uh, I've got two two fields in the barn, as they say, uh, one of which set a, a yield record. Um, and that wasn't unexpected. You know, when you give your ground a year off, a lot of times it rebounds with a really big first year back because it's rested. And my second field, I would say, was a good strong yield, but not, not really an eye popper like that first one. So... And a long way to go still, but off to a good start. You manage a workforce. I imagine keeping workers, potentially losing some along the way, then having to restaff, that's very difficult. It's also personal as well as professional. So how much of a challenge is that when you go from a really off year to an on year? Well, it's that dynamic that made us um, try to commit to keep every single person employed last year. I mean, we didn't bring on a lot of the seasonal guys that we use from time to time, but our full-time people and our key seasonal people, we brought in and put to work because if you let them go, you'll probably never get them back. And we're very lucky to have the crew that we have. They're all extremely experienced and talented at what they do. Uh, We want to keep them around. We have a a very much of a family atmosphere within our company. I think they feel that way too. And so we try to treat them as such. And that meant, I know it's going to be a tough year for everybody, but we will keep you employed. And how valuable is your crew? I've had the good fortune to visit your operation and I've seen a lot of hard work there. And it's not necessarily easy work either. I mean, not only is it laborious, but you need skill as well. How much do you value the workers that you have? You can't even put a number on it. They are essential. They are um, the, the guys that that do the, do the actual work. You know, they're the ones that are out there grinding it out. It's, yes, tough, physical, lab- laborious work. It's long hours. It's a lot of time away from their kids and their family to to do the things that we need them to do. And uh, I, I, there isn't a number. They are priceless. I, I don't know where we would be without them. Rice as a crop, what are some of the agronomic challenges? It's an amazing ecosystem, and we'll be talking more about that in a moment. But there are things like tadpole shrimp. There's weed issues. So what are some of the key issues that you have to deal with to make sure you have the best quality and yield at the end of the day? I think that certain weeds are our biggest threat right now. There are uh, water grasses and barnyard grasses that have become increasingly strong over the years. A lot of our herbicides that we use to manage that are not as effective as they used to be. There's there's help on the way in form of new herbicides that I know are going to help with that, but the registration process for those things is extensive and they're just not quite ready for us yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, the weed threats are a major part of it. Pest threats uh, in terms of insects and such are not one of the bigger issues in California rice. We're very lucky that way. Uh, I know in the U.S. South, they have a lot of pest problems that we don't have. Um, so we're fortunate that way. Our, our biggest threats are definitely weeds. And I would put the second as our water supply. It's not your traditional thing that a PCA is going to help you with, um, but it is the thing that has caused us probably the most distress. And I'm not even just talking about last year. Last year was just year four of a, of a four-year drought. 
we were hit by that drought three years before. It's just that fourth year was the real devastating one. There is a misconception about rice and water. Rice does have about five inches of standing water during the growing season, but its reputation regarding water use is often overstated. Your thoughts on rice and water consumption? Yeah, I mean, we're growing rice in heavy clay soils. You know, those soils hold the water. So it's not like it's just constantly percolating down. Most of the water consumption is through the transpiration process from the plants themselves drinking it. So yes, it does look like a lot of water when you put it out there on the landscape, but it's also more than just a rice field at that point. It's an ecosystem. You know, this valley used to be nothing but native swamp and grasslands. And, you know, rice is essentially uh, another form of that, that the animals are able to use in uh, just as an effective of a way as those native wetlands were. And so it is providing places for bugs to grow and places for invertebrates to grow. And then there's the birds to come in and eat those. And, you know, we're growing a lot of zooplankton in our rice fields that end up back in the river that turn into fish food. It's this great symbiotic relationship between rice farming and water that I think not enough people understand. And they just look at it and think, oh, we're just wasting water. And it's, you know, I always say, well, tell that to all the animals that I see every day, because I see the fields full of animals and without that there. And we saw it last year on the West side. I mean, the wildlife trailed off to almost nothing. It was just coyotes out there by that point. If those fields were full of rice and full of water, it would have been all of the Sacramento Valley wildlife that we're accustomed to seeing out there. How can you describe to somebody who's not seen it when you're in winter and there's ducks, geese, sandhill cranes everywhere? Paint a picture for us if you could. Sometimes it is literally a wall of birds that you will see jump up out of a rice field when you pull up to it uh, with the sound of the wings sounding not all that different from a, a jet taking off from a runway. It's not just the the scores of geese that we have out there, ducks, it's it's shorebirds, it's uh, a lot of local birds too. We have, you know, wood ducks and, and um, Canada geese that all stay in this area locally. We have the Pacific Flyway where all the traveling birds pass through. We're a, an important stop for them as they're trying to work their way from the top of North America to the bottom of it. It is a bird sanctuary. I mean, if you're a bird watcher, you will come out and have a great day. I've even hosted bird watching groups out here before, and I always love to see how they marvel at the at the opportunities to view birds out there. It's always more than they're expecting to see. When you look at the definition of sustainability, how important do you feel it is that the environment is taken into account? I think it's in our own best interest to take that into account. We are using the land and the resources associated with the land to produce food. If we didn't do a good job of making sure that the soil was kept in excellent health and that we're using the most, the highest quality water possible, then eventually the fields that we're trying to grow these crops in are going to peter out and not be as productive as they used to be. But if you use smart practices and if you do think of those kinds of things like soil health, and just the overall environmental health of the area, then that's what's going to keep us in business. And that's going to be what is for the best for the environment as well. One of the central themes we've been talking about is water. You farm near the proposed site's reservoir, which has been discussed and debated for a very long time. Whether it's sites or something else, how important is additional water storage in California when you do have a wet winter to be able to capture more of that water? 
it's something that this state needs to really make a lot of strides towards. I mean, the, the sites project's been funded for almost 10 years now, and uh, there still is not uh, a shovel that has been sunk into the ground to build that reservoir. Uh, I know it's imminent and that it will get going, but it, it really needs to happen. It needs to happen sooner. It needs to happen on a wider level. I think this sort of wet period, dry period cycle that we've been in for more than 10 years now is telling us that we need to be able to save for the times when we are short on water. It's no different than having a savings account, you know, at your local bank. You need to have reserves in place for when your your regularly occurring supply is not there. We need more water storage. And uh, it looks like we're on our way with a few projects, but I, I think that it's just uh, the beginning of what we need to change here. Part of winning that ultimately is education, and you do a great job telling the story of agriculture and why it's valuable to everyone. You had a Rice Radio podcast. You've done a ton of media interviews. You've certainly helped me many times over the years, and I'm grateful for that. Why go to this extra effort? You're already pretty busy with your farming operation. Well, yeah, and I'm not as able to do those things as I used to used to be. Uh, the amount of responsibility that I have on the farm front now has outweighed my my time balance uh, in a way that I can't do it anymore. But it was just it was just uh, sprung from a, a need. What was clear to me was that there was not enough good information out there. And I felt we just needed to cast as wide of a net as possible. I had a, a skill set from a previous career that allowed me to apply that here. And I thought it was just something for the good of the industry. I didn't make a penny off of it. <laughs> and uh, and it was really just making sure that people fully understand the scope of what we do here and why we do it here, because that is the biggest hurdle. When I meet people who know nothing about farming and they give me all their opinions about farming and then I give them just the slightest bit of education, their point of view flips almost every single time and they say the same thing every time. Well, I didn't know any of that. So to me, we have a duty to educate people. Uh, and so I took it upon myself to just lead the way on a lot of that, uh, whether it was video work or audio work uh, or even written work. I've done all three and uh, still try to dabble with the written when I can find time. There's still a need. There will always be a need. There, We can't get enough out there to have the public understand the what and why of what we do. And if they did, I feel like the entire attitude would be different. And I imagine... Some people may say, well, you're communicating because you're in California and there are special issues going on there. But would your advice be to people in agriculture in perhaps more rural areas that some of the issues that California is seeing will one day come their way as well? In fact, I know it will. I visited uh, rice farms in Arkansas last summer and they were telling me about what life is like from a regulatory standpoint in their world. And it feels like what it was like around here in the 1960s, probably. And that's what it's still like there. However, it's changing there, too. They told me, oh, we've got this we've got this regulation coming, whether it be on chemical and fertilizer use or water use or any of these kinds of things that they have uh, those regulations coming their way, too. It's just the, the, the direction the world is going and continuing to go. California is just a, a little bit ahead of everybody else, unfortunately. I don't think that anyone should proceed with the attitude of, well, that won't come my way one day. It is coming. Be ready for it. Well, Kurt, I really appreciate your time, and I hope the season wraps up well. When I am back in the Sac Valley, I hope we can meet at Rocco's, and it'll be my treat. How does that sound? Sounds great. See you then. 
I'm grateful to have visited with Nicole Van Vleck and Kurt Richter. You can find out more about their operations at montnafarms.com, spelled M-O-N-T-N-A, and richterag.com, and that's spelled R-I-C-H-T-E-R. And for information on the entire $5 billion a year California rice industry, calrice.org is a great resource. You can find out more about our company at redoxgrows.com. We have product information, every podcast episode, and so much more. You can also email us with your comments and story suggestions at podcast at redoxgrows.com. Thanks for listening. 